Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. This teaching is from the series Life Hacks. This series looks at helpful strategies from the book of Proverbs to help us live life well now and to prepare us for eternity. Um, our series over the next couple of months uh, we're calling Life Hacks. We're going to be going through uh, just some wisdom sayings in the book of Proverbs. We're going to begin today with Proverbs chapter 12, verse 18. This is not going to be covering the entire book of Proverbs. We actually did that a number of years ago where we spent a long time in Proverbs. We're just going to look at various uh, sayings of the wise that can help us uh, in our lives now and prepare us for eternity. So we're going to begin today with Proverbs chapter 12, verse 18. As always, the text will be up here on the screen. And actually in the little uh, welcome booklet you get every week, it'll really be important to grab a hold of that in the coming weeks uh, in the devotion and discussion guide. You're going to notice that we're giving a lot more verses than we can even cover up here because when Proverbs teaches on a topic, uh, it believes in using repetition. There are many Proverbs that will cover the same topics. And so I'll give more of them each week there in the uh, devotion and discussion guide. So with that, let's dive in and look at God's Word. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 18. Hear now the words of the living, the wise God. Reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing as i said we're calling this series life hacks most of you have probably seen life hacks out on the internet they're they're out there everywhere you can find them these are supposedly simple tips or tricks that will take a common everyday task that you have to do and it will help make it easier. And they will list these out and, and supposedly help you marvel at how much better they can make your life with them. Some of them actually really work. I remember a few years ago, Linda and I had, uh, maybe like some of you, when we would bring home ground beef, we would put it in a little block, stick it in the freezer, and then it would take forever to defrost. And then somebody said, hey, if you make it flat, you can store more of them and they defrost more quickly. And I was like, okay, hey, that actually worked. And it was one that worked. If you've seen, there's stuff about like using toothpaste on your uh, headlight covers on your car. And it actually will clean them up quite nicely. Who knew toothpaste would do that? And it might worry about what it's doing to your teeth. But, um, but some of them are also ridiculous. Some of them you look at and it's like, this is a simple task that takes me like five seconds to do. And it's going to take me like an hour to make your little gadget here to do this. Why would I want to do that? I was looking the other day at, at the, I think it was a site that said the 25 best life hacks ever. And one of them was how you can put eyeliner on with a spoon. And I tried it. It does not work very well. And I can tell you it didn't work well because the way Linda looked at me when she walked into the room, and she's never looked that way when I put mascara on before. Um, no. I looked at that one, and for you ladies, you can try it. I thought, I don't know if I would put a spoon next to my eye. That just sounds very dangerous to me. But some of them are completely silly and ridiculous. But what we're going to be doing in this series on life hacks is we're going to be looking in Proverbs, which is an ancient book of wisdom, for some real life-changing wisdom that will help us live well now and prepare us for the future, to talk about things, topics that 
we really deal with every day in our lives, and therefore we're either building in a manner that is wise and bringing health and healing to us and those around us, or we're building in a manner that is foolish and probably creating problems for ourselves and those around us. So I thought we would start with words because none of us ever get in trouble with our words, right? I mean, when I mentioned this at our Connect group the other night, everybody was like, oh boy, because we all realize we use words all the time, every day, and they very often get us into trouble. So we want to talk today about how words can bring, bring us blessing rather than trouble. Now to start with, look at our text today and notice that the first thing it's teaching us is the importance of words. You remember there's a proverb that's common in America, right? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words, yeah, well that's not really true. Words can hurt. They can hurt the speaker. They can hurt the one spoken to. They can actually cause problems all around the culture. There's a way in which it's true. It's not the same thing as physically assaulting someone, but, but words have real power and consequences. So notice in our text, we're told reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Now, just as a reminder, whenever you read Hebrew poetry, in Hebrew poetry, things don't rhyme like we oftentimes think of poetry as doing. It's much more about parallelism. You state something, and then you state something again, and you're showing how things are either the same or different. You're kind of making the same point a little bit different way or adding on to it. Here, notice, in both halves, we've got words and tongue, which are similar, but notice the outcome in the two halves are different because with my words or with my tongue, I can either cause damage or bring healing. I can pierce like a sword or I can bring healing. The words have these opposite effects according to which words I use. And this is a very, very common teaching throughout Proverbs. I put a bunch of them uh, in the guide for this week. Uh, it's a central theme in Proverbs, how it works. Here's one verse that really kind of states it. Proverbs chapter 18, verses 20 and 21 says, From the fruit of his mouth a man's stomach is filled. With a harvest from his lips he is satisfied. The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. So notice in these two Proverbs that are put side by side, there's a real parallelism going on here. Whether you consider the mouth or the lips or the tongue, all of which is not meaning different things to look at. These are all ways of saying these are the organs of speech. And all of them have consequences. Whether those consequences are the stomach being filled, which is the, the fruit, or the harvest and again, in verse 21, the fruit. You sow something, you reap something. So there are consequences to these words, but notice the consequences can be good or bad. Most noticeably in verse 21, it uses what's known as a merism to say that they have the power of life and death. That might be like, if I wanted to say something similar, I might say you could live on top of Mount Everest or at the bottom of the Marianas Trench in the Pacific. I'm not really thinking specifically about Mount Everest and the Marianas. What I'm saying is the highest place and the lowest place. Here, whether it's life or it's death, they're saying every area of life, and even our death, is affected by our words. Everything 
uh, falls under the consequences of our words. So words have consequences that change our life. And again, if you look, you can see this kind of saying over and over and over again in Proverbs. It is one of the most common sayings. So the wisdom writer is telling us, if you want to be wise, one of the most important things, A number one out of the gate, is your words. Your words. So now, let me be careful as I'm saying this. This is not some kind of magical power. There, there is a, a bad false theology that is out in the church today that says you're godlike and your words are little buckets and they carry and they have magical power. That is not what Proverbs is talking about. Proverbs is talking and saying if you are wise in the way you use your words, there are consequences that follow from that. And if you are foolish in the way you use your words, there are consequences that follow from that as well. It's not some kind of little magical power. It's just saying this is how life works. Use good words, get good results. Use bad words, bad practices with your words, get bad results. Now, these consequences that we're talking about are for both the speaker and the one hearing those individuals, and ultimately even the community at large. What you and I say with the words of our mouth not only affect us and the people we are directly speaking to, they ultimately bleed out to the entire community. A couple of verses that point this out in Proverbs 12, uh, 13 and, and uh, chapter 14, verse 3, we see the consequences for the one speaking. We read, an evil man is trapped by a sinful talk, but a righteous man escapes trouble. A fool's talk brings a rod to his back, but the lips of the wise protect him. Notice again the parallelism. You have an evil man and a righteous man. You have a foolish man and a wise man. And in each case, their words accomplish the exact opposite. If you are evil or foolish, you get trapped by your sinful talk. It brings a rod to your back. You get, you get popped one. You get beaten for doing this. If you are righteous and wise, the same uh, words have the exact opposite effect. You're using the same thing. It's words, but instead of getting yourself trapped, you get a, a free from trouble. You escape trouble. Instead of getting beaten, they protect you. So our words can either create or further trouble for us, or our words can reduce or eliminate trouble for us. So they're really important. The writer is saying this because he's saying you ought to pay attention to this. Now, the other thing is, they can have consequences for the hearer. Notice in the text that we're using as our anchor text today, reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. The idea there is not that I'm stabbing myself with the sword. The idea is my words are reckless, and they're like a sword flailing around and hurting other people. Or my words can bring healing to others. In Proverbs 15, 4, the tongue that brings healing is a tree of life, but a deceitful tongue crushes the spirit. One is this picture of the tree of life. Remember the tree of life there in the garden? And we see in the book of Revelation, even the leaves of it bring healing to the nations. So our words can be like a tree of life that are a balm. They are soothing. They are helping to others. But our words can also absolutely crush someone. They can create real problems. So uh, our words can encourage or discourage lift the soul or crush the spirit, bring joy or spread grief. This is the power of our words. 
So we have to pay attention to them. Now, they also then have an effect on the entire community. Even if I'm speaking them directly to you, that ultimately bleeds out and affects others. Proverbs 10.21 says, The lips of the righteous nourish many, but fools die for lack of judgment. Proverbs 16.28, A perverse man stirs up dissension, and a gossip separates close friends. So notice here the effect is spreading out even from just the two people being uh, speaking. The lips of the righteous are, are used to nourish many people. The whole community is being affected. Uh, and in chapter 16, verse 28, a perverse man stirring up dissension, not just between himself and others, it spreads throughout the whole community. A gossip. See, I don't gossip to you about you. I gossip to you about you to someone else. And then it starts separating. That relationship is now affected. That's the nature and the way that it works. So words can nourish a whole community or they can plant dissension among an entire community. Have you, have you ever seen where words start going on and it starts affecting the entire, I mean, it's like the atmosphere of the whole community becomes poisoned. Everything that's going on. This is why gossip is so serious. We're going to come back to this. Proverbs has much to say about this. Gossip can penetrate and infect whole communities and destroy close friendships. You know, if you ever, sometimes you get an infection in your body, and then when it becomes systemic, and it gets to, there's a tipping point, and when it goes past that, it spreads to the entire body, you're now in trouble. There, there's no Z-pack you can go get from the pharmacist. Now, your whole body is in danger. The same thing can happen by our words. Gossip can spread, and there's a tipping point when it infects a community to such a level, the whole community goes into crisis at that point. And this is why, by the way, the ninth commandment forbids. Think about when God summarizes the moral law and brings it down to a decalogue, to ten commandments. One of them is dealing with our words about our neighbors. And it deals with lying about our neighbor, because such sins affect the entire community. It's not just murder. It's not just adultery. It's not just stealing. God says even your words can destroy the entire community. So this is why it's important. We've got to learn to control our tongues. This is kind of where the, the life hack jumps in. We learn to control our tongues. Notice in our text, it says that it is what kind of words bring uh, pierce like a sword reckless words pierce like a sword now if you're using the king james version they did not translate uh this this word but it really is there the word reckless is actually only used uh, a few times in all of the old testament it's used in leviticus 5 4 to speak about a careless reckless sin that is done it's used in numbers chapter 30 verses 6 and 8 to speak of the same thing and then in psalm 106 verse 33 the psalmist is reflecting back and saying Moses got angry at the rock at Horeb and he spoke rash, reckless words and was not allowed into the promised land. That's the only other times in the whole Old Testament this word is used. It means that words are careless, they are rash, they are reckless. Anybody ever use words that way? Oh man, they fly off and then they're gone, and the person says they pierce like a sword. The reckless words of an uncontrolled tongue wreak destruction all around. But carefully chosen words, the words of the wise, 
Those carefully chosen words of wisdom can produce abundant blessing. If you want to think about it this way, wise words are like a scalpel in the hands of a surgeon, excising sickness and bringing healing. Foolish words are like the swords in the hand of a drunkard, slicing wildly and producing harm and death everywhere. Both of them are sharp instruments. One of them saves your life, and one of them can kill you. And the difference is who's wielding it. Are they being, is it being wielded with wisdom, or is it being just slicing about? It's all the difference in the world. So, all of that's to say, what you and I do with these lips has huge consequences. So, what are the life hacks? How do we do it? How do we control our tongue? Now, let me say as we do this, for those of you who are used to being here, the applying the word is going to kind of go along with us as we're doing this. And again, in the guide, I give even more verses this week. So I'm going to be kind of doing it. So when we come to applying the word, it's going to be very brief. We're basically going to list these areas and ask the Holy Spirit to put his light for God to put his finger on the area that you and I need to let the Holy Spirit work on in the coming weeks, okay? So, so be aware of that as we're going along. So first, life hack, first way of controlling our tongue is controlling the total amount of words I speak. In Proverbs 10, 19, it says, When words are many, sin is not absent, but he who holds his tongue is wise. Proverbs 17, 28 says, Even a fool is thought wise if he keeps silent and discerning if he holds his tongue. Now I realize when I read those, some of you who know my family realize the irony of me speaking this because my wife likes to talk so much and so you're probably wondering what Linda's thinking about this right now and and I can assure you she's gracious and has allowed me to use these words up here uh, I realize the irony I talk for a living these are scary verses but Proverbs tells us that too many words inevitably leads to sin and sometimes silence is the wisest word sometimes the best thing to say is actually nothing now this is important for us to understand because our culture right now encourages you and me to emote and air your opinion on everything any fool can set up a video camera and air their opinion about anything. Anybody can set up a blog and speak about things about which they have no expertise at all. That's the way our culture is. And in fact, our culture tells you if you're feeling something and you don't express it, you're repressing yourself. Here's a bit of wisdom for you. Sometimes you need to repress yourself. Sometimes what you're feeling is foolishness. And in the clear light of day, you'll realize that would have not been a good thing to say. But our culture makes it so easy. And in fact, it's so bad because as I said, they can infect the whole community. But see, it used to be I could sit down and talk to my friend Mary and I could say something just to Mary. Now I'm encouraged to go out and put it on the internet and tell the whole world. And there's no getting it back. See, you and I sometimes forget, and here's the blessing of the gospel, God forgets. God chooses to forget your sin and mine. The internet never forgets, friends. 
It puts it out there, and people will pull that thing back, and they will repeat those words. And sometimes the best thing is close your lips or pull your fingers back, and don't speak that word. It's a particular danger for extroverts like me. We like expressing our opinions. We, we thrive on that. Proverbs warns us that's the path of a fool. Be very careful. Second area, which kind of flows out of this, is controlling the topics on which I speak. Proverbs 18.2 says, A fool finds no pleasure in understanding, but delights in airing his own opinions. See, the the point that he's making here is the fool doesn't know what he's talking about. This is the time where the fool ought to be asking questions and learning, but he's not interested in that. All the fool wants to do is give his own opinion. So rather than there being conversations so that both people can learn, the fool's not interested in growing in knowledge. They're just simply interested in telling people what they think, even if they have no basis for it. Now again, this is huge in our culture. Any fool can state their opinion, and what people actually believe today is, my opinion is worth as much as your opinion. But not if I don't know what I'm talking about. But see, I listened to a professor years ago, uh, this was probably uh, eight or ten years ago, and the man said, here's what's happened in college classes throughout my tenure as I've been teaching across the decades. People now come into my class, and their automatic stance is, you, professor, who've been studying Shakespeare, it's what he did, since long before I was born, and in fact, since my, child, my parents were children, you were teaching Shakespeare, we're equals. We're here to learn from one another. And this professor said, I'm not here to learn from an 18-year-old about Shakespeare. I've been studying Shakespeare for 50 or 60 years. I'm here to impart my knowledge to them. But if you say that, people today, hey, I, you, you, you're no better than I am. Actually, there are. There, there are very few topics to which you and I ought to speak. There are many topics you will not hear me speak about from up here because I don't know. Okay? You want to know my opinion on global warming? I don't have one because I'm not a climatologist. It's a very specific skill, and I don't have it. I don't have an opinion on many, many topics that are out there because I've learned you can only be expert at a couple of things. I've given myself to things like Greek and Hebrew and theology and church history and understanding the Word of God, which means most other stuff I don't know about. I simply don't. But it is a great danger today to do this. I've got a friend who I have spoken to about this a couple of times. On a given day on Facebook, he will post on 15 completely disparate topics. Economics, international politics, global warming, a local policy in his community, two different theological topics. There's no way you possibly know about all these topics. There's just no way at all. But the culture tells you, if you think it, say it. If if you have an opinion, put it out there. We should restrict the subjects on which we speak and are willing to argue with because it would greatly reduce the number of words we're actually talking about. 
The fact is, in this world, the majority of topics being discussed, you know virtually nothing about, nor do I. It's just the nature of the way life is. And so are we willing to simply say that and say, I don't need to start a blog post, I don't need to stand on a street corner and emote about what I think about this topic because actually I don't know this much about that topic. That leads to a third point. These kind of lead one into the other, which is even if I am on a topic that I do know about, that I am directly involved in, I need to control the temper and the tone of my words. Proverbs 15.1, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Proverbs 17.27, a man of knowledge uses words with restraint, and a man of understanding is even tempered. Restrained, gentle words cool down the conversation, but harsh unrestrained words stir up anger and make the situation worse. If you want an example, I encourage you, go on social media and you'll see cool, restrained, reasonable comments. Right? Listen to the guy in the car next to you and he, somebody cuts him off. Cool, restrained, thoughtful, soothing. Is that the way we talk now? See, and the less personal something is. See, when you and I are face-to-face, we're much more likely to, to pull back on things. People will let things fly, and the further you get from face-to-face conversation, the more likely we are to let the words fly. That's what we're likely to do, and it gets us in to trouble. And very often, if we think about it, in the middle of that, you, you've all been here, right? I'm in the middle and I can feel the heat going up in the conversation and a little voice in the back of my head says, don't say that. Don't say that. That voice you should listen to. That's the voice to listen to right there. But see, this is the voice of experience I'm telling you right now. That's the voice I've oftentimes shouted down and said, no, I'm going to let her rip. I'm going to let it fly. Now this actually years ago, and I memorized quite a number of these verses out of Proverbs. It was pretty easy for me to know where to start on Proverbs because I memorized for years a number of them about anger and words. And that was because when I was a young father, there were times, you parents won't understand, but please forgive me, where I would lose my temper with my children. And I would raise my voice, and I would sometimes say things that I should not have said. And in fact, I started paying attention to this memorizing these proverbs, praying through this, fasting, seeking God for wisdom. And I even realized at at one point that what would happen is if the conversation started, I started getting upset, I would feel it rising, my voice would go up, and then I would get up out of my chair. And then I would end up in my child's face using superior size to simply try and talk them down. And amazingly enough, let me tell you, that did not ever work. It just made things worse. And so I had to even learn, don't raise your voice. Don't get up out of the chair. Because if you do, pretty much all is lost. It's not going anywhere good at this point. And so are we willing to do that? I had a friend at work, and he amazed me. Uh, This guy was a big dude. He'd been in the 82nd Airborne. 
wore this big cowboy hat. Max came in. He drove this big truck he called Paint. And he, I mean, seriously, this guy in King Kong in an alley fight, my money was on Max. This guy was big and scary. And one day his wife calls, and his two boys, who were, by the way, named Conrad and Hansel. This guy was quite the German dude. He, he says, what did that boy say? Put him on the phone. And then he gets on and he says, boy, are you giving your mama trouble? Do I need to come home? Never raised his voice. We sat there, and he says, okay, I better hear that things were changed. And he hangs up the phone, and I was like, I don't know about Conrad or Hansel, I'm scared. And I said, <laughs> I said, Max, I said, you were so quiet. Do you ever raise your voice? Why would I want to raise my voice? I'm trying to keep it quiet. That was the problem. <laughs> I was like, okay, wow, gold star for self-control for you, dude. That's not the way I do it. But see, it was a much better way. He was in control. Screaming at somebody you ought to control yourself generally doesn't work real well. But we live in a culture where if it's not working, just put it in all caps. Just raise your voice, and that will convince the other person. And it really doesn't. Another area in this is taking time to consider my words. As I'm giving these, I know there's quite a list of them here. Ask the Holy Spirit to be revealing to you which one is your struggle. Taking time to consider my words. Proverbs 15, 28. The heart of the righteous weighs its answers, but the mouth of the wicked gushes evil. See, weighs its answers. That's, I'm taking time. I'm thinking through, what would be a smart way to do this? Which is, again, one of our problems. We immediately want to get in this. This was one early in our marriage. My wife, when we would have conflict, would want to go off and think about it. I very helpfully would follow her around trying to say, we need to have the conversation now. Little tip for all you guys, bad idea. Okay, really bad idea, which I stopped doing decades ago because it doesn't work. Okay, do we take the time to weigh our answer? See, a fool just immediately responds. First thing in my mind, let her rip and then wonder why things get worse. Very often, taking the time to carefully consider what we really think and how to respond is going to allow us to respond in a much more productive manner. It's amazing how often my word tomorrow, my response tomorrow, is so much better than my response today. Sometimes it's even helpful, now this you have to be careful with, but to go to somebody else for advice and say, I've done this before. If I get a rancorous nasty email ask somebody else to read my response and say is my response calm and reasoned am i am i biting in my words am i only going to make things worse how am i going to to do this but taking time but see it's very hard when somebody says something i immediately want to respond back but the wise person takes a breath calms down Next area, determining the best situation or season to speak. In other words, it's not just that I took a couple of moments, but I'm trying to figure out what's the best time for that is, is going to make it most likely that my words can be heard. Proverbs 15, 23 says, A man finds joy in giving an apt reply, and how good is a timely word? The word timely there is literally a word in season. 
There are seasons that words can be received, and there are seasons that words are not received. And we need to pay attention to both. It's not only a matter of speaking the right words, which is the apt reply, but notice the next line says, it's not only that you have an apt reply, you speak the apt reply at the right time. Right words at the right time produces a good effect. And speaking the right word at the wrong time is usually pointless and is often harmful. When I was a much younger man, my only thing was, well, I'm going to speak truth. And if they don't respond correctly, that's their problem. But see, it's not just their problem. It's my problem. It's not a matter just to speak the right word It's a matter of speaking the right word at the right time. Because is my goal just speaking the right word, or is my goal actually bringing healing into the situation? The right word at the wrong time can actually create damage, okay? You know, I used the analogy earlier that a wise word is like a scalpel. And scalpels are great, but I don't need a surgeon to cut inside me if nothing is wrong. There's a right time for them to use the scalpel, and they wrong time how do we do this now one practical example and this came up uh, a number of years ago linda and i were talking with a couple that was going through some tough times they were having a, a certain number of arguments they would call us about and i started noticing a pattern after a while what time did this argument start it was like 11 uh, 45 last night it was 12 15 in the morning it was one o'clock in the morning And I said after a while, I said, why are y'all having these big, huge discussions at like midnight? Aren't you tired at midnight? Yeah, we're exhausted. Okay, bad idea. It doesn't matter if what you're saying is true. It's not likely to get a good response at that time. Y'all need to shelve those. If something comes up, you need to have the restraint to say, okay, I would like to reply to that, but let's do this when we're less tired tomorrow. Linda knew with me another great example Uh, I would regularly fast, and Linda learned if I walked in the door after a day of fasting, was ready to break my fast, and she would greet me at the door with, do you want to know what your children did today? Do you think she, A, got a very godly, wise response, or B, me making the situation worse? It was always me making the situation worse. But what she learned is she would tell the kids, Nobody say anything. We're going to all eat. We're going to have a pleasant dinner. When your dad's not a raging maniac, then I will let him know (laughs) what went on today, and he will deal with it in a much more godly fashion. And it was. It was just simply a right time or a wrong time. And if you're honest, who likes to walk in and say hi to somebody, and the first thing you get is everything that's wrong? It's just not wise. Proverbs tells us we ought not do that. Uh. Just a couple more, and then we'll, we'll, we'll go to applying the word and let the Spirit speak to us. Controlling the content of my words. Proverbs 12, 19 says, Truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue lasts only a moment. We are called to speak truth. Now, I've been talking a lot about restraining ourselves. This is kind of a flip side in certain ways. Uh, let me first get to, to, to one way that always applies, and then to us specifically as believers. Friends, we live in a world of spin. But if you live by spin, you are going to die by spin. If you twist the truth, it will come back and get you. 
we have to try the best we can to verify the truthfulness of our words and not pass on any information until we do. And this is, once again, one of our problems. Because the whole world of information is available to you and me now. And it all comes in. And I have, again, spoken to friends who said, did you verify this before you pass this information on? And the person told me, I don't have time to verify everything that I think is important to post on social media. And I said, you don't have time to post on social media until you verified it. Because if it is false, whether you knew it was false or not, you have violated the ninth commandment. You have now slandered someone. You have passed on wrong information. And we are responsible. I had someone pass on to me a number of years ago about a former uh, president that they did not like, and they passed on information that was false. And I went back to them and said, well, this is actually false. What you are claiming President Obama did, that was actually a policy of President Bush before him. He actually did that policy. So if you don't like the policy, that's great, but say it's about President Bush. And the reply I got back is, but don't you think Obama's a terrible person? I, I think this. You will never serve the cause of the truth by passing on lies. We serve the one who declared himself to be the truth. And so we do not engage in that kind of behavior, or at least we ought not engage in that kind of behavior. We verify, and until you verify, you don't pass on. It's simply gospel. And Please link this one back to, do you have the expertise to verify? Because there's a lot of information out there. I look at their charts, and I'm like, I have no idea what any of that means. So I can't verify it, so I don't pass it on. Okay. Now, let me say that there is a flip side of this, and this is really important. We also speak the truth, which we are being encouraged in our culture not to do, because here's what you know is truth. And you don't have to verify other than making sure you're interpreting it correctly. God's word is true. And that we do not flinch on. I do not try to, well, I know if I say this, it might offend them. I'm sorry, I cannot compromise the word of God, regardless of whether someone else likes the word of God or not. And in our culture, there are many, many things that are, we are being told you have to compromise, you have to dilute, that if you don't, you are a hateful person if you believe that. I'm not hateful. I'm not being any, but I'm standing by the truth and I'm not going to speak otherwise. Now I use wisdom when I speak it. I try to use wisdom in how I speak it, but we dare not, friends. We cannot dilute the word of God. You are not helping yourself. You are not helping the other person by telling them their sin is not really sin. We're just simply not. In our culture, we're being told you cannot hate the sin and love the sinner. Yes, you can. You absolutely can. It's all over the scripture. And so when I do that and people say, I just have to say, well, you're wrong. That can be done. It is done. I do it every day. And if you want my opinion on this, the Scripture speaks to it. And I have to stand by what the Scripture says. We speak the truth. Now, because of that, we also control our words by not participating in gossip. Even if it's true, it is gossip if I pass it on to a party who's not involved. 
and they have no reason to be involved. Proverbs speaks a lot about this. A couple of verses, Proverbs 16, 28. A perverse man stirs up dissension, and a gossip separates close friends. The words of a gossip are like choice morsels. They go down into a man's inmost parts. And finally, without wood, a fire goes out. Without gossip, a quarrel dies down. Okay? Proverbs speaks so much about slander and gossip because it underlies so much dissension, arguing, and trouble. So much of the stuff that goes on out there is because people have passed on half-truths, they've twisted things, they've spoken about people who aren't involved rather than controlling their tongue. But see, gossip is tasty. That's why it's a temptation. Admit it. You like it. You go through the, the grocery line and they got all these stupid magazines about some star. And, some, and you know it's not true but you're tempted to want to look at it. That's the way we are. That's why it says it's like a a tasty morsel that goes on. But the problem is when gossip has been swallowed down, it enters our bloodstream and it becomes part of us. It is virtually impossible to unhear or to take back gossip. Once you allow yourself to hear that thing about somebody that you had no part of the situation, Your view of them is virtually forever altered because you always wonder. I wonder if they really did say that. Did they really do that? And if I've passed it on, even if I now try to go back and do damage control, it's like Notre Dame, the, the, the Notre Dame Cathedral. Once the fire starts, it's too late to put it out. It it just spreads. It rages everywhere. And friends, make no mistake, you live in a culture right now, gossip is an industry, right? All those magazines, I mean, National Enquirer, they they check and recheck their facts, right? Right? On TV, there's a TV show called TMZ. All they do is they live to spread gossip. That's what they do. And these are billion-dollar industries in our culture. And it's not just them. It's wrong for them to be doing it. But every time we click and we buy, we're supporting that. We are participating in gossip. The church does this by, you know, let me, let me tell you, Ryan, I got, a, I got a prayer request I need to pass on to you. Okay, let me, I just need you to pray for my brother Scott over here. And what I really want to do is, I just want to tell you something nasty about Scott I found out. Right? I know none of y'all have ever had a prayer request like that passed on to you, right? See, and that's how, remember what gossip does, man, it affects the whole community. You get enough of that going on and a whole church can tip. A whole church can tip by people doing that. I can remember a few years ago, if you'd have asked me if I was walking in holiness, I'd have said yes. I'm not cheating on my wife, I'm not lying to the IRS, I'm a good employee, I do all this. And I was home one day and I was reading a book and the guy was talking about the holiness of God. And I thought I was doing okay and I I literally felt the Holy Spirit speak to me and said, what about the way you participate in the gossip and slander regarding the team leader at work? Because we had a team leader 
who was not the most qualified. And so what would happen was, we would all gather around the water cooler, and everybody would tell the latest funny story about this team leader. What they had done, what they hadn't done, what the thing was. And then we would all jump in and give our little shot, give our little statement, give our little thing. And I literally, that day, I was laying in bed as I was reading this, I literally pulled the covers over my head because the fear of God came upon me in a, in a stronger fashion than I have experienced almost any other time in my life. Because I realized God was telling me, you want to know holiness? Control your tongue. Do not participate in this. Half the people doing it at work were believers. And it was such a strong temptation when the conversation would start, I'd have to get up and go. i got to get out of my cubicle. I can't be here because it's too tempting for me to take part. Do, do, we, do we participate? Because, see, that tears a team apart. That, that tears down the whole work environment. Nothing positive being accomplished. But, boy, does that kind of stuff go on? And it happens everywhere. Last area, and then we'll apply the word. Do I control the content of my words in that they are pleasant? Proverbs 16, 24. Pleasant words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. And the flip side, he who loves a quarrel loves sin. He who builds a high gate invites destruction. Notice here, Proverbs says pleasant words are a honeycomb. Our, our tone of our words in general ought to be pleasant rather than biting. They ought to be positive rather than negative. They should be healing rather than biting, sarcastic, or demeaning. But I again ask you, how much in our culture right now goes off of the irony, off of the sarcasm, off of the biting? That is, that is all over the place in our culture, and we're encouraged to do that. We love negative news. Because you know, they've actually done studies. Which travels faster, positive news or negative news? Negative news, way faster. It, bad words spread like wildfire. So we can be given over to that, but all of these things only lead to quarrels. They are like vinegar, not honey. And so I should, again, this doesn't mean that I can't ever speak the truth, that I can't speak a word that needs to be cutting. But the question is, in general, if I went and asked people, when you see me about to open my mouth, do you think it's going to be something positive or something negative? something encouraging, or something that's bad? Which of those characterize my conversation? Because the overall tone and content of our speech should be positive rather than negative, pleasant rather than controversial, building up rather than tearing down, encouraging rather than discouraging, working towards unity rather than stirring up controversy and quarrels. So let me tell you one way, simple way you can do this. In our family, we have practiced this ever since Lynn and I have been married. When you end a conversation, and you can ask any of our family how we end it, the last words are, I love you. Okay? Even when we've had arguments, Lynn and I have had a couple of arguments in 35 years, they still end with, I love you. That is reinforced time and time and time again. In fact, when we wake up in the middle of the night, the most common phrase is, I love you. I love you. Because we, we have to reinforce that. To one another. We live in a world that does not speak that to people. 
Do we do that to one another? Do we say thank you? Do we say I love you? Are we encouraging to one another? Do we, do we bless our children? I used to pray and bless my children. The very first thing I did with every one of my kids when I found out Linda was pregnant was put my hand on her stomach and speak over them in the womb and start speaking blessings of God. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. Speak the word of God over them from the moment I knew that she had conceived. Do we do that? Do we have positive words that we speak over one another and do that? Now let's go to applying the word. And applying the word is largely going to be at the table. But I'm going to put up here on the screen these areas. There's eight areas that I just put up. If you can put them up, please. Um, these eight areas of controlling. Now what I want you to do, I'm not going to run through them. This is what we just went through. But as we come to the table, we're going to first off thank God for the gospel. Because how many of you realize there's some area up here that you look and say, oh man. I mean, James tells us, does anybody control their tongue? James said, if you could control your tongue, you'd be perfect. But it's a world of fire. So we all fall. The question is, which of these that Proverbs tells me is the one that the Holy Spirit's speaking to me? Because you can't go out of here and apply all eight. So what I want us to be doing is asking the Holy Spirit, which of these do I need to work on this week? And then you can look up in the guide even more verses and maybe memorize the verses, but ask the Holy Spirit to work and to speak this to us. But as we come down here to the table, as you're letting the Holy Spirit do that, I want to remember you, remind you of the gospel. What I've talked about is a lot of what we would call law. It's, it's God's word, it's true, it's principles, but if I left you there, I've not done my job. Okay, because we don't live by that. You will always fall short. We live by the gospel. Friends, the word became flesh because your words and my words are so broken. We have done so much damage with our words that God the word came forth to bring healing to us. And the fact is, do, do you realize the gospel, what does gospel mean? Good news. It's a word that God has spoken. And God could speak a word of condemnation over everyone in here because of these eight, just those eight, not even get to anything else. Every one of us could be condemned. But God, because of Christ, chooses to speak a word of blessing over you and me. And so we're going to come to this table reminding ourselves of the gospel. And we're also going to come to this table to give thanks to God. In many traditions, this is called the Eucharist, the thanksgiving. Because I realize when I see that God speaks the word of the gospel over me, when what I deserve is punishment, I speak a word back to Him. And that word is, oh, thanks be to God for what you have done. So we're going to come to the table, not for law, not to say how well I've done, because if you're honest, we've fallen short. We're going to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal which area, but we're going to begin. The foundation out of which you and I are going to be sanctified is the gospel and justification. If, if you don't have that, there is no changing. None of this stuff will work. But if we realize the gospel, 
out of that, God can propel us. And I can realize I'm free, I'm forgiven, I'm loved. God, I don't want to cause damage with my words. I want them to be a source of blessing. As always, I want to remind you in a moment when we uh, offer it, if you uh, need gluten-free, raise your hand. We'll get that to you. And also, if you are a guest, you do not have to be a member of our congregation. You do have to be a believer, which means you understand what I'm just saying right now. Your only hope of salvation is the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus Christ. You will never stand before God based on your own words or your own works because they fall short. But Jesus never did. He never sinned in anything he said or did. And therefore, we are accepted before the Father. If you believe that, you are free to join in with us. Friends, what I receive from the Lord, I pass on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he'd given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out so that your sins may be forgiven. Drink from this, all of you, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father, we pray you would come and meet us by your Holy Spirit right now. Lord, I pray that for each of us you would be revealing to us the areas where we have fallen, that we might rejoice in the forgiveness we are given and that your Holy Spirit might then sanctify us. Lord, we want to be more like Jesus, not to earn your favor, but because it's already been given. And because, Lord, we know being like Jesus is always what is best for us. We ask this in his name. Amen. Friends, as you get the elements, hold on to them, and then we will take them together. And again, let the Holy Spirit speak to you regarding which area, and then be giving thanks to God for the grace and mercy given to us in Christ. Lord, when we contrast your word with the words we speak, we are humbled. By your word, you created and sustain all things. By our words, we destroy and undermine the work of your hands. By your word, you made us in your image and blessed us. And by our words, we deny you and curse others. Your word is truth and endures forever. But ours are full of falsehood and change like shifting shadows. Yet, you spoke your word by your servants, the prophets, that you would not abandon us, but would come and redeem us. And in the fullness of time, you sent forth your Son, the eternal word, the Lord Jesus. Your word, whole and pure, took flesh, but was broken by our impure hands. And yet you have turned this to salvation for us. So today we take this bread, broken for us, and we receive it with the word of thanksgiving. 
Take and eat, giving thanks to God for the body of Christ broken for you. Lord, you are a covenant-making and a covenant-keeping God. And when your people broke the old covenant, you promised that you would make a new and better covenant with us. And though keeping your covenant promise cost the life of your Son, you did not shrink back, but freely gave him for us all. His blood was sacrificed and poured out that ours might be spared. And for this, we give you thanks. And we lift up the cup of salvation in the name of the Lord. Friends, take and drink, giving thanks to God for the blood of Christ poured out for you. Holy Spirit, you who came upon the holy people of old so that they spoke and wrote the very word of God, come now upon us that we might faithfully proclaim that word to others. Fill us so that our thoughts, words, and deeds would be like our Lord Jesus and so that others could be drawn to your word of truth. So work in us that the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our Redeemer. We ask this humbly in the name of Jesus the Word. Amen. Let's stand together. As we do, I'm going to speak the word of benediction. And uh, most people in our congregation are aware, but just to remind us, we do this each week because God has promised through this simple word. God promised He would bless through these words. So I encourage you to receive the blessing, and then I encourage you, especially if you are parents, this week, speak these words over your children and bless them. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn His face towards you and give you peace. Go forth blessed in the name of Jesus and be a blessing. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. For more teachings and resources, please visit www.brcc.church.